Well, by that old clock on the wall, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalera, and Pulsera is proud to sponsor this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can leverage the power of network communication at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. Talking about network communication, here he is, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, man. Just sitting here wishing I had a computer that works right now. I mean, this isn't uh, I, this isn't this isn't psychology time. This isn't going to my psychologist time. This is like, just tell me how oh you're doing, man. Can't, like, can't, I, can't I vent? I'm, I'm I'm lying here on my virtual couch in the in the ambulance. Uh, I should be able to tell you my problems. I yeah, should I know, be able to tell you that, that you could tell no, me, but I'm not. Really I don't want to listen. Me, you would take some cats off my hands. Hey, how many uh, so animals do you have down there at Grayson Acres? We got two dogs and seven cats. Oh, my God, yes. seven cats. Take some of these destructive little house goblins away, please. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm not a cat fan. I'm it's allergic to cats. It's problem right now. Not a cat lover. I'm a dog lover. Yeah. No, so, me too. Speaking about dog lovers, which I don't know if he is, mm-hmm. we are always excited to be graced with the presence of our international correspondent, the man with the original accent to the state of Virginia, Rob Lawrence. Rob, welcome to Inside EMS. Chris and Kelly, good afternoon, or in the words of Dr. Tedros, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's a pleasure to be back with you guys. <laughs> It is always fun when you are here, Rob, and I got to tell you, you are one of the busiest men in EMS and lately Mm -hmm. in EMS journalism. I mean, the EMS one spot is such a great, you know, I enjoy reading your stuff because, and I I think I said it uh, last week on the show because we actually talked about one of your stories, which was the uh, 50th anniversary of Los Angeles uh, EMS training. Yeah. 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 And thank you. And thank you for covering that, by the way. And I got to tell you, I mean, so anytime you write, th- there's always a, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of stuff that you get. I mean, your perspective, you know, a little bit of history, whatever that is. But with the EMS one spot, a lot of times I don't have the opportunity to read. And, uh, you know, but you kind of cover those high points and I think you do it really well. And what kind of feedback are you getting on that? Because it looks like a lot of people are listening to it. We're getting a lot of readers and a lot of listeners, Chris. And, and the reason we started doing the narration on the show is for that very reason that people are busy, busy, busy these days. And actually, you can take six or seven minutes to listen to me narrate the story to you. And uh, it seems to be a very popular uh, part of the of the production. And it's a pleasure to do it. Um, one day, of course, I will publish the outtakes because I don't sometimes get it right first time. You know, <laughs> That's right. in the world of podcasting, you know how that goes. <laughs> Um, and th- there may be a few words that have to can only come on after 9 p.m. Uh, but right. uh, no, it's been good fun doing that. And actually, gr- the reception for the for the narration piece has been fantastic. And, and and of course, what I'm able to do with the narration piece as well is also sort of ad lib a little bit and put some extra commentary in in addition to the article that I'm writing. So if you're listening, you get a little bit more than That's just right. a written word. Yeah, and I really enjoy that. And I think that uh, you know, if you ever want to do it with voices, you know, me and Kelly could come on. And we yeah. kind of act out different parts of it and almost make it like uh, go back to the old exactly. uh, 1940s, 1950s radio shows. 
Well, do you know what we could we could do that, couldn't we? And uh, but I'm, I was actually toying. I was talking to Kerry, and, and for those that are listening, Kerry Hatt is our illustrious editor, um, and we mm-hmm. all um, work for Kerry, and she is a phenomenal, phenomenally hardworking uh, lady herself. And uh, uh, we were actually discussing having guest voiceovers rather than just listen to my voice all the time. You know, having somebody like Chris Sebalera read it in a broad, reading my English words in that broad Brooklyn accent. So, yo, and uh, and then, it. yeah, I was going to say, can, you, I stick, can I stick you down for a couple? Oh, my God, we're happy too? to do it. We're happy to I do could, it. I, Rob, I, I would be happy to read an, uh, an entire episode in the voice of Greg Freeze. This was Greg... the last in the ever. This was the last in the series of uh, Inside EMS. It's been a real pleasure to. Uh, That's to right. Talk. <laughs> we will have a new. We will have a new co-host next week. But uh, <laughs> you know what's funny though, Rob, is when is when uh, uh, Kelly actually does Greg Freeze with Greg Freeze on the show. So I mean, that's what's really funny. But you know, so, so Rob, I mean, you are, but you are a busy man. You are one of the. Uh, preeminent leaders in our career field uh, with all the years that you had at the Richmond Ambulance Authority, certainly working at the AAA, uh, you know, helping the uh, EMS agencies really kind of move into this, you know, uh, uh, the transition of community paramedics and so on and so forth. I mean, the the accolades that you've done for our career field are uh, uh, so many. But, you know, maybe the things that we don't know that's going on. I mean, so Kelly and I talk about the reimbursement for COVID. We talk about getting EMS some of this money from stimulus. You know, we talk about hazardous duty pay. And, you know, so so from your end of the AAA, from your end of, of being in the know, I mean, what's the latest? What's going on that these EMS agencies really need to know about? Well, first of all, thank you very much for those kind words. And uh, uh, I maybe disagree somewhat i'm 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 an old army officer as you know and uh i'm kind of acting right now in the capacity as a national staff officer and what i mean by that is that my brief is a million miles wide but about two inches deep i'm in a very unique position at the moment where i know the people who maybe know the answers and i and i'm able to actually draw that out and join some of the dots make the connections um and of course assist AAA, and of course, the, the fantastic thing that's happening right now, the the cooperation and the collegiate nature of, of all of the associations right now in driving in the one direction. Uh, and so it's been quite a pleasure to be able to try and, you know, be, you know, almost the man, one of the men behind the curtains just kind of bringing things together and pushing things forward. And so it gives me an amazing view right now of what's happening out there. I mean, and it's good that you kind of have your hands. I mean, every, we need to be soldiers, right? Sometimes soldiers need to be yep. there and they need to do the work that they have to do. But when you think about it from the standpoint of, let's say, COVID and EMS, do you have any insight as to what's going on, maybe at the national level, maybe at the federal level, yep. as far mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, what's happening as far as reimbursement or, you know, I mean, this whole ET3 piece now, I mean, uh, is it something they're going to go back to, which I don't think they should? I mean, wh- where we stand with all some of these things? Well, let's, let's pick up, let's pick up some some topics chris shall we and from sort of the current current thinking and thoughts and and in no particular order we'll talk about ppe funding testing vaccination data data is my favorite four-letter word you know that um and then we'll talk about et3 treatment in place and indeed the telemedicine piece so obviously ppe first of all um you know we kind of thought we were getting there with getting it um then of course the rest of the world surged with covid uh, the southern states surged with COVID, 
And I think we're, you know, we're, we're going to go back into a position where we're still scrabbling around. We're going to be continuing to scrabble around for PPE for some considerable time. And one of the key things is having the information on who has it, who has difficulty getting it, and then how we apply those priorities. And so from a federal level, they are working to understand who in the industry, you know, where, where, the, where the gaps, the shortfalls and the hotspots are. And so there's a lot of work going on around there. And actually next week, we hope that uh, NHTSA uh, and the Office of EMS will be publishing a data collection tool for the entire ambulance industry, whether you're fire-based, whether you're private, whether you're not-for-profit, etc., to start to capture some of that data that's then ultimately fed into the centre and from there, high-level decisions can be made. And so that's that there there is a challenge with ppe availability um while i'm on ppe i'm also going to drift chris and kelly into complacency and please do chip in on this one and that you know we were talking a few months ago about we're going to have to get used to operating in the new normal well we're in the new normal now and mm -hmm. i'm starting to hear colleagues and starting to see reports about people becoming complacent about wearing their own protective equipment about their own you know, personal infection control measures and about, you know, their own universal precautions. And is it because we've now become used to the environment we're operating in and we're starting to take unnecessary risks with our own protection and therefore that of others? Um, I'd love to hear your view on that, especially you, Kelly, well, obviously you're on the street there. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm suffering from PPE fatigue in a major way right now. It's, uh, uh, our policies are that we uh, we are to be masked whenever we are in public, uh, and the latest uh, in the series of moving goalposts is that um, when we cannot socially distance from our partner, uh, we are to be wearing a mask in the truck as well. Uh, the problem is is that uh, with the the PPE supply is is finite and ever dwindling, and and uh, uh, we're having a problem at the moment and getting the masks that we need. We have masks, just the ones that uh, that that we are supplied with currently uh, are not the best in the world. Uh, not they're very ill fitting, and and me with my fat face and goatee, they they kind of go from the bridge of my nose to right under my lower lip, and that's about it. Uh, so I find myself wearing my uh, reusable respirator more often than not. Uh, we're required uh, to to be wearing a a uh, uh, um, N95 or a reusable respirator on every patient contact, and wear a uh, and wear a, a simple surgical mask the rest of the time. And and it's a uh, it's it's getting tiresome but uh, uh not as tiresome as being quarantined for 14 days or potentially dying of COVID 19 so i do it you know but it's yeah you know, I, I can definitely see why uh compliance would be uh, uh is going to be a problem because people are starting to get kind of burnt out on it and and right and are, are probably taking chances that they shouldn't and, th and those actually are exactly the stories that we've we've heard at various levels and various associations that you know that the burnout is equating to complacency is equating to you know kind of risk taking. Um, you mentioned Greg Freeze, and I'm going to plug Greg for a second, and you can do the impressions afterwards, Kelly. But uh, Greg recently put out a mask survey uh, on all of the 
platforms that is Police One, EMS One and Fire One, the Lexapol team, um, asking about face mask compliance and uh, do you believe it's an effective tool, etc. And the results, hopefully, will be out in the next couple of days across all the, as I say, not just EMS, but Police Fire. And uh, I emailed Greg earlier uh, just to see if there's any early results in and, uh, you know, folk obviously are aware that uh, face masks are going to keep us safe. They're also aware that, you know, you have to ask citizens to mask up. But, you know, there is, I think, an inherent risk that we're just going to get lax and we don't want to do that. I was talking to Hannon Cohen, who's a friend of ours up in Empress, and we were talking about this mm-hmm. only yesterday. And, you know, while we in EMS can't have a safety stand down, we can't just stop and go, ah, oh, we just need to test and adjust we need to have uh, probably a virtual stand-up where we talk about this is becoming an issue and we need to just kind of almost sort of slap ourselves for a second and go, okay, okay yeah, yeah, you know, it's here to stay. We have to get used to doing this and we can't take risks for ourselves, our co-workers or our families. Yeah, but I think that one of the things that we've got to look at as well is, um, you know, and Kelly kind of made this comment last week that, you know, we're in the we're in the second uh, wave of covid uh, virus and i i, I kind of said i think we're in the middle of the first wave and i think one of the challenges is that we've got we got very uh you know use the word complacent but we let our guard down and uh, people thought everything was okay and back to normal and uh, it, it's it may not be the fact that they're getting tired of wearing the ppe as much as the uh feeling that uh we were in an all clear and uh, yeah. i think that that has to be talked about as well yeah, actually, Governor Newsom of California hit, hit the nail on the head yesterday when he said, you know, we have to treat this like it's a dimmer switch where, you know, we turned it down a little bit. Actually, it was was too much. Now we've got to turn it up a bit and we're sort of testing and adjusting. And we have to get used to the fact that it's going to it's going to even the president said yesterday, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And but we yeah. have to be prepared to do what it takes to protect our workers. They are they are a most, you know, EMS staff are our most important yet most expensive asset and we don't want to lose them uh, in any way shape or form uh, i was on a i was on the triple a live facebook webinar only a few hours ago where my job was to report out on the current line of duty deaths uh, and we're looking at over 40 ems providers uh, across the country that have succumbed to covid since march and you know we haven't lost anybody to a ballistic you know gunshot wound we've lost 40 plus providers to covid um Mm. probably no fault of their own but you know if we want a reason why we can't be complacent that's the list to look at yeah and uh my ops area uh just had the the uh a very trying weekend with with uh we had a dozen or so uh employees out uh quarantined uh because they're covid positive and symptomatic and uh, piled on top of National Guard Grill weekend, so it was uh, really challenging to to actually get people staffing the units. And but beyond just the personal <laughs> protection standpoint, that this this uh, PPE fatigue uh, poses risk to our our patients as well because we're potential vectors for this virus if we don't disinfect and and keep ourselves safe. Uh, uh, we're, we're spreading it to, to people who are potentially not ill. Um, I like your, uh, Governor Newsom's, uh, uh, uh um, analogy of the, of the dimmer switch. Uh, yeah. And I yeah. think that's what we're suffering right now. I, I don't know, Chris, that I said we're in the second wave, but, 
but uh, I know for certain that that uh, some uh, some areas of the country are are just experiencing their peak, while others have long since experienced their peak and, and have been on the decline. I think we're all on kind of different timetables, depending on how stringently uh, the uh, public health officials acted and and uh, and how compliant the the populace was with following those those guidelines. I know that Louisiana, we we turned down our dimmer switch a little early, and and now it's uh, it's getting bad again, and we've got. Uh, upwards of a thousand people in in the hospitals and and uh, several hundred on ventilators again. Uh, whereas in in Connecticut on Peter Canning's blog, he was saying that that uh, that their uh, rates are steadily trending downward. They have less than uh, they only have fifty something people in the entire state of Connecticut that are currently hospitalized, uh, and and the virus is showing signs of dying out. And it's because of the social distancing and the and the masks and, and, and that sort of thing that they have really stringently uh, um, followed that you sadly do not see in many places uh, in the country, most particularly in the South. Yeah, well, let's go ahead. we got a lot more to talk about with our yep. international correspondent. But before we do that, yeah. I do want to go ahead and let you know that Pulsera is the only FirstNet-listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. Free to EMS and the receiving ED, Pulsera One unites teams seamlessly on a single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like live video calls, ECG, image uploads, audio, data, and key benchmarks. Pulsera United includes enhanced features built to help your EMS agency provide an expanded scope of practice, such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsara makes communicating with healthcare facilities in your region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate. For more information, visit pulsara.com. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A.com slash EMS. So, Rob, I mean, I think you really got us off to a great point here, and, and uh, there was a lot of things to talk about. We talked about yep. PPE. Yeah, um, you know, I'm interested a little bit more. I mean, you kind of mentioned vaccine. You kind of mentioned, yes. uh, you know, money. So what are, what are you going to bring us next? Okay, well, let's talk about uh, testing for a second. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. tests are becoming more widespread. Check. Um, the flash to bang time, as I would call it, from taking the test to getting the result, we need to do better. That's a B minus on that one. Uh, but, of course, one of the things that we in EMS are doing at the moment is we're bailing everybody out. We are the folk that are going out there doing the testing. We are the folk that are going out there in some places doing the contact tracing. Uh, we are certainly doing the treatment in place. Um, and so we are, you know, the as I've always said, actually, I've said it on the show many, and when we were doing the old leadership, EMS leadership podcast years ago, Chris, you know, we are the last great health and social care safety net, and we are really, really, really doing that right now. Um, the thing about testing is that we're doing it almost as a free good, and you know, Kelly does like to get paid once in a great while. We know he likes to do a lot of things for free, but uh, you know, we have to come up with strategies to actually gain some reimbursement for being such the good guy. Uh, in order to help us, you know, gain what we're losing. Uh, and what we're losing is volume. But, of, of course, these extra things are absolutely key to do to keep us compensated. Um, talking of uh, sort of on the same theme, vaccinations, uh, if you uh, follow the news, um, Pfizer, or is it Pfizer? There's a silent P there somewhere. Um, just got a contract <laughs> for 100 billion doses or, or to start to develop it. In other words, we're now getting closer 
to to vaccinations. We're certainly at those stages of trials where we are now going out there to uh, you know do sort of live body trialing, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. One of the things we're doing at the federal level is to make sure that we in EMS on the front line at the sharp end are at the front of the line when it comes to the actual vaccinations being issued. Um, we don't want to, you know, like we were with PPE, we were fifth in the federal priority for PPE. Not good enough. We, we, we complained we got up to second in the priority for PPE. We want to make sure we're at the front of the line for, for any vaccinations coming up to protect us, to enable us to do what we do best, which, of course, is, you know, attend the next call and treat the next patient. So federally, we're making a lot of, a lot of uh, noise, if you like, to make sure that we're up in, in the pecking order. Um, last week, certainly NAMT, AAA, and International Association of Fire Chiefs wrote a joint letter to the White House to actually make that point to say, oi, don't forget us, we're here, and we need to be at the front of the line because, you know, our people are at the tip of the spear. And Gary Ludwig has, has said this a lot, you know, tip of the spear, he's absolutely right. We're out there doing the job uh, each and every day. So vaccinations, uh, we're making sure we are going to be up there. Um, of course, the next thing is we'll end up delivering vaccinations with some, you know, some protocol changes. We'll end up perhaps being the vaccination givers of the future as well, which could be another carve out role for EMS. So that's vaccinations, gentlemen. Any any thoughts on that one? I Well, uh, the, the news reports of, of the success of the uh, early human trials is, is encouraging, you know, and, and, and we've had uh, I've seen reports from a number of uh virologists and and so on that that say that uh it's a realistic timeline might actually be a viable vaccine by the end of the year if that were to happen that would be uh excellent news obviously but um you know granted it's only a a limited human trials thus far but that's ramping up as we speak um but if it continues to uh uh to yield the results it has in the, the small scale trials we may actually have uh, a vaccine yeah and i think that one of the things the one of the things that you bring up as well rob is uh i didn't even consider the fact that ems and community paramedics are poised and in the proper position yeah. to yep. be the Absolutely. deliverers of these vaccines i mean because if people are going to get out uh, that's going to, you know, uh, push the social distance barriers. They're going to have to sit in the doctor's office or they're going to go to the emergency rooms. Uh, what better place for them just to be in their homes and uh, for the community paramedics now to, yep. uh, you know, deliver those. So I, I think you bring up an incredible point. Yeah, I mean, if, if you watch that amazing COVID training movie, tra- training film, the movie Contagion, obviously Matt Damon had to wait weeks for his uh, <laughs> vaccination. <laughs> So, but but I'm being slightly flippant. But the point being is that there there will be a lot of people to do. Everybody's going to want to be first. There's going to be have to met, going to have to be a methodology to do that, and also a force to deliver it. Uh, and and if we're already doing contact tracing, doing uh, COVID testing, it's just a small leap with a protocol change, of course, to actually say, well, you know, you guys can now be part and parcel of this public health solution. I think it's just a given. Yeah, I think this is we're we're poised to be a, a, a major uh, mobile uh, segment of of public health, you know, and, and stretching our boundaries far beyond uh, the traditional emergency medical services. We're we're truly uh, poised on the cusp of being out of hospital healthcare, mm. uh, and and this is just one aspect of it. 
I think we are. And actually, that just allows me to segue and tip over into treatment in place, Kelly. Excuse me. Did, the did that for you. Uh, man, Thank you. Throwed it right up and you knocked it <laughs> out Yes, indeed. So, so let's talk about the, the combined issues, guys, of TIP, treatment in place, and, of course, ET3. So we're, what we're doing out there right now is, of course, we are suddenly, all of a sudden, in fact, we're always doing this, let's be honest, for those low acuity issues and injuries, we were treating and not transporting. COVID has highlighted mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, by doing that, A, we are saving a hospital bed, we're saving an ambulance weight. And if you're sitting in Florida right now, for example, or indeed the, the southern parts of Texas, you know, they will thank you for saving a hospital bed, saving an ED weight. Um, and so we, we, we're doing that. And all of a sudden we're realizing that we're doing it for free. And again, even if you're not for profit, a not-for-profit organization. Not-for-profit doesn't mean all for free because we still have to pay Kelly. Kelly still wants to be paid yeah. even after 10 minutes of this discussion. So, you know, we are appealing for the common sense of well you know reimburse us for this and of course we said i think the last time we spoke one of the problems is that uh, we are transport and reimbursement is health and so we have two two competing departments and of course that's where the lobbying work is going on right now to try and extract that common sense that hey we're doing this already let's just formalize it legalize it and reimburse it so that's going on um Coming back to ET3, of course, it's been delayed. Um, it's only only taking 200 and so organisations as part of the pilot to prove what every organisation is doing out in the country right now. So I'm mm -hmm. still slightly sceptical there. The other thing about ET3 and about treatment in place is we're legislating to have treatment in place formalised. Also, the bigger, bigger healthcare are lobbying just as hard to have all of these telemedicine solutions formalized as well and so there's lots of examples now of getting bipartisan bills to keep those telemedicine aspects of treatment as well so ems are going after treatment in place the hospital sector and the primary care sector are going after the telemedicine you know things that we've changed as emergency you know for, for, for as part of the emergency I'm kind of making sense. And as I said in one of my articles the other week, we're doing this to the patients and the patients actually quite like it, quite like having a telemedicine mm -hmm. consultation if you, if you can, of course. And of course, we must acknowledge that not everybody has the ability to have the, certainly the video exchange. Most people have the ability to have the telephone exchange. Therefore, you know, lobbyists and elected officials and healthcare leaders are pushing for both things. So ET3 is coming along late I believe, and this is just the view of me, that I think we've proven it already. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah, uh, we're uh, my agency uh, was was one of the pilots uh, were, was participating in the ET three pilot, and which of course is now on hold. But but uh, we are uh, we are currently utilizing uh, alternate destination transport and treatment in place yep. uh, guidelines. We they have issued. Uh, uh, they've issued to us uh, cell phones to serve as mobile hotspots for our tablet computers uh, or for our iPads and, and uh, to initiate the, the telehealth. Uh, basically, yep. it's a FaceTime session. Um, uh, so we all went through the training in that, uh, and they rolled it out at the beginning of July. Uh, my, only, my only opportunities to, to do uh, uh, treatment in place um, 
have failed because uh, I work in a very rural area of our parish, and in both instances, uh, I was unable to establish a uh, telemedicine connection uh, because uh, even with the nice cell phones, uh, no signal. <laughs> oh, well. well, maybe I'll get my first telemedicine patient soon uh, in a place that actually has a cell phone signal. You know, one of the things that we've got to think about from this standpoint is that, you know, ET3 is on hold, but we're doing the work right yeah. now. And we're really, doing the tenants of it right now. Yeah. ET3 yeah. needs to go away. And what they just need to do is just, just need to make it a global payment because we're proving that it's working. Uh, everybody's, it, you know, everybody is transporting to alternative destination. Everybody is treating in the place. Everybody is using, well, maybe not everybody using telemedicine, but we're proving the tenets of it right now. And and now to go backwards to say, you know, we, we kind of let everybody do this. And, uh, you know, let's go ahead and go back to this pilot. We don't need to take these steps backward. And, and the leaders that are up there in the, AAA and NAMT and, and, you know, the state EMSs and all the other things, there really needs to be a push to say, let's just globally make this, you know, the way, you know, the, 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 the law of the land. That, that's an excellent point, man, because, uh, I mean, I'm stepping on Rob's comment here, but, but uh, I hadn't really considered that, that, that uh, ETT was ET3 was supposed to be a proof of concept, and, and we're proving the concept right now, as, as Rob's pointed out. Yep. Uh, there's no sense in, in having to go back to it when all this is over. Let's just keep it in place, what we're doing. And, and actually, let, let me kind of correct you, Chris, that you know, by saying these associations should be doing this, these associations are doing this because clearly treatment in place is, is being done on a grand scale, um, and therefore we are advocating strongly for it. So it's not a case of, you know, this is a bright idea, they should think about doing it. This almost is, you know, one of the primary legislative, particularly, objectives. And, and, and you know, for the, for, the, for the guys listening on the truck, you know, the, ultimately there are four little words that change laws and change the way we do business. And those four little words are all those in favour. If you don't win the vote, we don't get things changed. And the only way we get exactly. things changed is to, is to get involved, whether it's doing what AAA is doing at the national, federal level, or indeed doing what organizations are doing at the local and state level, and that's getting involved, getting being a coming, becoming a part of advocacy. And people might say, oh, yeah, that's just the stuff for lobbyists and stuff. No, we drive around in billboards with our big ambulances with our names written on the side. We are public figures. But also we have the ability, therefore, to influence outcomes at every level and affect those four little words. And so that's why people should, if there's a call to action, to write to your local assemblyman, to write to your local board of supervisor member, to write to your local, um, you know, whatever the title is of your locally elected officials or your state elected officials or your nationally elected officials, you should do that because that helps change those four little words. And really, that's what we're trying to do right now on a, on, on, on a, on a huge scale in collaboration with our partner agencies. And that's a very important thing to mention. So thank you for, for, for having me on, Chris, first of all. And uh, I, I just like to say, because we're both operating in the same SoundCloud space, whilst I'm talking to you guys here on your show, if you hang on just a second on SoundCloud, I'll be coming along with my own EMS one-stop column. So thanks again. Over to you, Kelly. Uh, Rob, once again, we enjoy having you on. As, uh, as a street-level provider, it's, it's uh, nice to, to hear occasionally 
what they, the, the amorphous they that, that control the reins of our profession and advocate for us while we're out there taking care of patients. It's nice to get that, that bird's eye view of, uh, of the advocacy that's going on on our behalf uh, while we're out there doing that. And we thank you for your efforts and thanks for, for keeping us abreast of those developments as they, as they go. But that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Email us at the show at ems1.com if you have questions for Rob, if you have questions for us about ET3, treatment in place, alternate destination transport, COVID, PPE fatigue, anything that tickles your fancy or piques your curiosity, we'd like to hear about it at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ciballero, and our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.